three, two, one. Oh my goodness. Good morning. Good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Schaumler. This is Strong Opinion Sports, episode 353. Welcome in. Uh, it is sweltering outside. It's very hot. I got the AC on. I don't think you can hear it in the background. Pray to whatever deity is alive uh, or, or out there that you guys cannot hear the sound of the AC blowing. Uh, it's swelteringly hot. I already said that, I guess. Uh, I'm wearing, like, looser-fitting shirts, trying to have short sleeves, doing the best I can. It's We're entering summer. It's going to get much worse, um, but just cross your fingers. I'll probably be a sweaty pig by the end of the show. Who cares? Uh, no massive stories today. There's no, like, gigantic, earth-shattering thing, no big trade, no this, no that. But there's a lot of little stuff that's been going on in the sports world and football. I, I admittedly don't. I, I love baseball. I probably watch more of the uh, American Wiffle Association. Like, my, my friends have a wiffle ball league up north uh, near Seattle. I watch more of that than I watch Major League Baseball. Uh, I love playoff baseball. I, I'm still not quite into it yet. Basketball, we're getting close to time to pay attention uh, like, I mean, I, I watch occasional games, but really dive in and really give a, I, I'm just not there yet. Um, but a lot of NFL stuff going on. I also want to do a reminder. I think people don't realize you can listen to the show on iTunes, on Spotify. In case you don't want to watch it, you can listen to it. I'm the guy. I don't watch podcasts at all. Uh, I put them in my ear. I walk around. I do dishes. I do laundry, whatever. I always have podcasts on in the background. Uh, never sports podcasts, though, by the way. I don't listen to sports media at all. I read news, and that's about it. Uh, we're doing predictions versus reality later today for the NFC South. That's the Carolina Panthers, the Falcons, the Buccaneers, New Orleans. Got some really good Ask Zach questions today at the end of the show. Like, you guys brought the juice. It's awesome. We're starting a new tradition at the end of the show. Uh, but I want to start today with a bunch of news. Here's a fun one right at the very, very top. Number one, silly, fun story. I don't know if it's a story, but did anybody see the picture of Atlanta Falcons running back Mike Davis? There's not a lot of substance here, but man, he's got this massive, like just his legs are huge. And if you, I'm going to put it on screen if you're watching on YouTube. I know I plugged the audio. Audio people, I apologize. Go look it up. Uh, Former Panthers running back now in Atlanta, Mike Davis. It's just a fun picture. Like, oh my goodness. Shockingly, shockingly huge thighs. Like probably bigger than my head. Literally. I'm like, oh, all right. That's what's going down in Atlanta. Uh, Other news, former Washington defensive end Ryan Kerrigan has signed a one-year deal with the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, He spent 10 years in Washington. He's now on their division rival in Philly. He's 32 years old. He's a former first-round pick. Um, I don't have a lot to say about this. I thought it was worth mentioning because it's interesting he's now on a division rival. But last year he was more of a locker room leader than really an impact player this could be his final year in the NFL a lot of people are going ah we'll see it's interesting um but I man I got all eyes on Philadelphia this year I I love Jalen Hurts like I I love their quarterback I think he is a guy if it doesn't work I don't I don't think it's going to be his fault uh I love Devontae Smith I love their offense over their doing I the team isn't great uh and the coach might be great. Nick Sirianni, the Eagles head coach, might be phenomenal. Every time he opens his mouth, I go, that's a train wreck. That's terrible. And I don't, I've never met a good head coach in my lifetime or seen one either that when they talk, I cringe, but they win. I know that's like, are they related? I, I actually think so because the messages you send out, the way you communicate with people, it's very important. You're good at that. 
gosh, man, I am so I I really want Philadelphia to to do well because I love 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 Jalen Hurts. I am so concerned about the Philadelphia Eagles because of their head coach. I just again, Bill Belichick, Nick Saban, uh, even Urban Meyer in college, Dabo Swift. Ah, there's there's a I can't think of many coaches out there that have won a lot of games where every single time they speak, I go. Man, can we put a muzzle on that guy? Like, this is not good. So we'll see. Uh, Ryan Kerrigan is now there in Philadelphia. Interesting. I think really the, the story, the question about Ryan Kerrigan is, can he still play? He's 32 years old, uh, 10-year vet. Like, he, I think has something to offer. How much can he offer the Eagles? And then really, is this his last year? Do we get one year? Do we get two years? It's a one-year contract in Philly. Um, I'm curious if when we do predictions versus reality – for the Eagles uh, for next year. If we're going to go, hmm, yeah, Ryan Kerrigan's done. Just keep your eye on that. How does Ryan Kerrigan do this year in Philadelphia? Uh, another news story, I guess number one, two, number three, if you count the picture news. <laughs> it's fun. I don't know. I love it. In a recent interview, Raiders head coach John Gruden came out and said that his quarterback, Derek Carr, is, quote, very underestimated and doesn't get credit for how well he's played. Here's the full quote. I'm going to read it. John Gruden said this about Derek Carr. Derek is very underestimated. He doesn't get much credit for how good he's playing. But he completes a lot of passes. He changes plays at the line of scrimmage. He's starting to make more and more plays with his legs now. We put some pretty good players around Derek, and I think it shows. So, number one, I love John Gruden doing that. Uh, Coming out, defending your quarterback. Number one, it's good for the team. Uh, to hear that, there's a lot of people um, who have doubted Derek Carr, myself included, by the way. And so for him to come out and say, no, 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 no. Yeah, we have Marcus Mariota. Derek's our guy. Like, Derek Carr is our quarterback. It's good for the team to have confidence in their guy, to know that's who the coach supports. It's also good for Derek Carr and his relationship. Like, hey, Derek, I, I got your back, buddy. Like, I'm going to defend you against the media, against anybody who doubts you. Now, number two. John Gruden in defending Derek Carr is right. Uh, Honestly, like, I think the last person I would blame with the Las Vegas Raiders' lack of, you know, playoff success and tons of wins, the last person I would blame is the quarterback. Um, I would even blame John Gruden, the coach, way before I started blaming Derek Carr. Now, uh, I will say, I I have even questioned Derek Carr at times. I think it's natural that when a team struggles, you wonder— Hmm. Is this the right quarterback? Like, it's it's natural. But, man, Derek Carr is not the problem with the Raiders. And it reminds me of Tom Brady in New England or Matt Ryan in Atlanta or, man, I haven't talked about Sean Watson in a long time, but he had like an MVP caliber year the way he played last year. The team was awful. They didn't win any games. So a good quarterback can't go very far with a bad team. I'm not saying the Raiders are bad. They're about an 8-8 eight and eight football team. They're average, and it shows year in and year out. And so what the Raiders need to do is keep building the team around Derek Carr. There are, again, there are endless examples of great quarterbacks on bad teams that don't win. Matt Ryan in Atlanta, they went 4-12. and 12. They were awful, last in their division. Uh, Carson Palmer had to leave Cincinnati because he didn't get the support he wanted. And he won a lot in Arizona. So I think, man, we often are a little too quick. Myself, I've, I've been... One of these guys before, too, were so quick to blame quarterbacks uh, 
when so often it's the team around them or the coaching or something going on in the organization, there are times where criticizing a quarterback is warranted for sure. Like, I'm not saying never blame the quarterback. You can't have ultimatums like that be grandiose statements. But when you treat things on a case-by-case basis and then you look at the Raiders situation, you go, huh, in this particular situation, Derek Carr is not the problem with the Raiders. So, I, I man, I, I really like John Gruden coming out and supporting him. I think he's totally right. And, again, I, I want to repeat this. I would blame John Gruden, the head coach, well before I went down the list and found a reason to blame Derek Carr for their lack of major success with the Raiders. Now, another news story. There was very interesting news that came out of Jacksonville. Jaguars head coach Urban Meyer came out and said that Travis Etienne would take all of his snaps at receiver during rookie minicamp. Uh, and this was a big surprise to some people because Travis Etienne is a running back. People went, huh, weird. The Jaguars drafted him in the first round of the NFL draft, 25th overall uh, out of Clemson. He was teammates with Trevor Lawrence in college. It is worth noting that if you look at the last two years, 2020 and 2019, and combine them, he's had 1,000 yards receiving. Like, he's a good receiving running back. But a lot of people heard the news, like, you're not repping Travis Etienne at running back. and went, what's going on? Like, this is a weird move. And, you know, a lot of people said this, too. I think this is an interesting one. I, I read this. People said if they wanted a receiver, they should have drafted one. Like, there were other receivers available in the first round. They took a running back. Why isn't the running back playing running back? And so Urban Meyer responded. He came out and said that worst case scenario, you have a running back that's elite with receiver skills. And that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, But I got to say, I love the move. I think a lot of people don't understand Urban Meyer, don't understand the scheme and don't understand the situation in Jacksonville. The Jaguars already have a good running back. They have James Robinson. He had a breakout rookie year last year in 2020. And when they drafted Travis Etienne, I kind of looked at that and went, huh, they don't need a running back. Like, why is this the right move? I, I don't know. Now it makes more sense to me. So if you look, I want to teach people a little bit about Urban Meyer. The Jaguars head coach, Urban Meyer, has had multiple guys in his coaching career who he moved all over the field. In the backfield, at receiver, at running back, just moved them all over and utilized their skill set the best way he could. Kind of like hybrid players. And it's not actually that shocking. In fact, it's kind of a typical move for Urban Meyer to find this kind of skill set and develop it as much as you can. In Florida, when he was a head coach at Florida, he had Percy Harvin, who was a guy, dude, I've seen Cam Newton talk about Percy Harvin and say, I have never seen anybody take over a game the way Percy Harvin could at Florida. He's a guy who played running back, played receiver. When I played with him on Madden, I move him to running back because he's better at running back than receiver. I'm not even kidding. I, I played Madden 11 where Percy Harvin's incredible. Put him running back, throw him swing routes all day. And this is Madden. I understand that. But my point is that, I mean, look at um, Curtis Samuel at Ohio State, another guy who can line up in the backfield or receiver. Historically, Urban Meyer likes to have guys who are versatile and can do both. And Urban builds around his player's best skill set. And I think it's actually really smart. And very, very forward-thinking to put Travis Etienne at receiver. Uh, the, guy, the guy won't only play receiver, by the way. I think a lot of people are a bit confused. Um, you know, there's this narrative that 
you know, oh, mistake. Like, what about his running back ability? Travis Etienne is a great running back. I don't, and in fact, he's gotten a lot of reps with their quarterback, Trevor Lawrence. So I, man, I, I am skeptical of Urban Meyer. I, I understand, you know, he's never coached in the NFL. He's been a college coach for years. But if you're going to be critical of Urban Meyer and be skeptical and not sure he's doing the right stuff, this is not the right reason to be critical and skeptical of Urban Meyer. I don't know why it's bad to nurture the receiving part of Travis Etienne's game. Uh, again, I, I think it's smart. I think it's forward thinking. But Travis Etienne, at both receiver and at running back, he's a great receiver. <laughs> you want the ball in his hands to throw. If you can throw shallow crossers to Travis Etienne all day and let him get a ton of yards after the catch, that's fantastic. Oh, and then you can solve James Robinson in the backfield. Like, use everybody you have to the best of their ability. Also, by the way, if you have Travis Etienne getting more reps at receiver than fewer. So, like, I'm not saying he's going to only play one side or the other. But the less reps he takes at running back, the less beat up his body gets, the longer you can extend his career. Receivers last longer than running backs for a reason. Receivers don't get the tar beat out of them the same way running backs do. And so for running camp, for rookie camp, excuse me, uh, for a guy to not get reps at running back, which I don't think he needs, he's an elite running back. And for him to develop his skills at receiver, that's, that's a great move. And I, I like that move. And I don't know why. I was kind of surprised when I saw a lot of people like, what are you doing? You should have drafted a receiver. No, he's good at both. Uh, and let's develop the other side of his game. Uh, okay, ah, man. I don't want to talk too much about this next thing. Uh, and I, I really don't want to talk too much about this. It's only a rumor, but I keep hearing a lot about it. And so the rumor is that Falcons receiver Julio Jones is on the trading block. Again, the rumor is it's a rumor, not saying it's fact, but apparently Atlanta is open to listening to offers. They're like, hey, the door's open. Come in. Tell us what you got. What are you going to give us for Julio Jones? And by the way, it's a very vague statement. Like the reality is that every player, or I guess not Tom Brady, uh, but almost every player in the NFL is available if you offer enough in a trade. Like, you want guy X? Well, give us seven first-round picks. We're probably going to take the deal because that's an amazing, amazing opportunity. So if you offer enough trade value, anybody's for sale. That's my point. So I'm not saying, like, it's kind of nebulous. I keep hearing, well, the Falcons are listening. I think the phone gets answered a lot more by general managers than people realize. And people are like, huh? What you got? Like, I think I would imagine if every trade call that happened was announced to the public, people would be shocked. They'd be like, oh, my gosh, he might get moved. And he's not going to get moved, but everybody will listen. Now, this trade, here's why I'm covering this. The trade does make some sense. Julio Jones is 32 years old. And by the way, he's still playing at a high level. And if you're Atlanta and you ever do plan on trading Julio Jones, now is the time while he still has value. You can get a lot back for him. Um, and not a lot of receivers play at a high level into their mid-30s, their late-30s. He's kind of, he's probably got a few good years left in his prime, and then it's over. If, in fact, if his prime isn't already passed. Now, Atlanta's rebuilding, and Julio Jones is going to be way more valuable to another team than he will be to Atlanta. So, you know, a team that's closer to a Super Bowl, a team like Baltimore or the Colts, Makes a lot of sense. If they add Julio Jones, Lamar Jackson, that offense, they're getting developed. They're another step closer to a Super Bowl where the Falcons, they're nowhere near a Super Bowl. 
So the trade would make sense for Atlanta. They can use the pick to uh, help build for the future, get some draft picks. And whatever team trades for Julio Jones, you're probably getting you're probably giving up minimum a first round pick. Man, you can really build your team. Um, and the, again, the reason why I'm talking about this is because I think it, it might be true. It really does make sense when you look at it on paper. And also, another reason why it's noteworthy is that a Julio Jones trade, that's big news. Like, imagine if, again, a Baltimore excites me so much. The Baltimore Ravens, Lamar Jackson, they got two good receivers already at Julio Jones. I mean, I've been begging for Baltimore to further develop their passing game. That would do it, man. Oh, my goodness. That'd be so fun to watch. Lamar Jackson, Julio Jones, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, Rashad Bateman. Like, oh, yes, I want that. And the Tennessee Titans, they are in need of evolving their passing game. Tennessee is a team no one's talking about. I don't know if they have the cap room or not to trade for Julio Jones. But that would help Ryan Tannehill a lot. A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill, Derrick Henry, and then Julio Jones. Boop. Oh, man, that'd be fun. Uh, The Colts, the Rams, uh, Julio Jones would put teams like that closer to a Super Bowl. And so it's an exciting thought to think, man, Julio Jones might might get traded. That's really cool. I don't have a lot more to say. Uh, I I guess, you know, Julio Jones is just this incredible, incredible receiver. If he's not the best receiver in the NFL, he's near the top and in the conversation. He probably, if he's not now— there was a stretch where I would say he was for sure a couple of years, you know, year year two ago, um, and I would be really really excited if this rumor turned into reality. I, I would be like, oh yes, because his talent, his skill, man, it's wasted on the Atlanta Falcons, a terrible terrible football team, and I would love to see him on a contending team, making an impact and helping a team compete for a Super Bowl. I, that makes me so excited. And I will say, it could be worse. Like, at least he has a good quarterback. He's got Matt Ryan. Uh, Julio Jones could be in a far worse situation than he is now. Uh, again, at least having a good quarterback is good. And by the way, he's, he's 32 years old on a bad team that can't really take advantage of his skill set the same way a team like the Rams or the Colts or Tennessee or Baltimore could. Julio Jones also has a, I guess, more than an over a... 23, I think it's $23.5 million salary cap hit. So he's older, only a few years left in his prime, if you would even call what's left his prime. Uh, He's still valuable in a trade. You could get a first-round pick minimum for Julio Jones in a trade, I would think. And the Falcons are bad. So it's very, very believable to me that he could get traded. And I got to say, like, I... I'm rooting for Julio Jones to get traded. Like, I, I want to see that happen. I like player movement. I like chaos. I like interesting stories. Um, I, I don't know what teams. I, I wish I had the forethought to research what teams. I, I don't know that Baltimore has a salary cap to get Julio Jones. But, I, I, man, I'd love to see it happen to watch the Colts, the Rams, uh, Atlanta, or not Atlanta, um, Baltimore. Uh, I think Tennessee is a team that if they have the cap, that'd be an underrated, interesting move there. I would love to see Julio Jones get traded away and go to a contending team where he can really make a huge impact. By the way, uh, McLaren, Formula One driver Lando Norris, signed a multi-year extension with McLaren. Uh, I think it's cool. I like it. He's one of the young rising stars in Formula One. 
Uh, so Ferrari has Charles Leclerc on a long-term deal. McLaren has their driver locked down long-term. Uh, their number one driver, let me clarify. Uh, and I'm really pumped for the development of this Ferrari-McLaren rivalry. Uh, I think as those two teams, Ferrari and McLaren, they're kind of in the race for third right now. As they try to push their way to the top of Formula 1 and compete against each other along the way. And with new rules coming to Formula 1. Like, it's it's exciting, man. I really, I, I am so excited for Ferrari and McLaren to continue to try to push each other. And then push Red Bull and Mercedes to try to get into that top of Formula 1. Uh, and I, I saw that Lando Norris signed a new contract today. I was like, ah, really, really cool. All right, guys, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we will do predictions versus reality for the NFC South, uh, the Saints, Tampa, Atlanta, Carolina. And then later, got some really, really good Ask Zach questions. Uh, We're going to talk about the Bengals. I got a guy, Eugene, has challenged my opinion on the Cincinnati Bengals drafting Jamar Chase. Really good, I think, conversation and discussion upcoming. Uh, We're going to talk about the Colts. I found something, a fun nugget about the Indianapolis Colts I'm really excited about. And much, much more is ahead. My name is Zach Schaumler. Going to take a short break. I will be right back. All right, we are back. I hope we're doing very, very well. I got two thoughts I want to talk about briefly uh, before we jump into predictions versus reality from the break. Number one, I, I went and pet my cat a minute ago. And... We have this wonderful little cat. He's the runt of his litter. He's just tiny, but he's fully grown. He's just always going to be small. And uh, he was pretty badly abused uh, when he was a kitten before we adopted him. He's got scarring on his face. And when you use, like, if you used to lift your hand up, he would, like, cringe and hide away. And he hates loud noises. And he used to hide under everything. It was just a, I felt bad. Like, as this little tiny kitten who was just scared. And now, after giving him lots of love, he's really developed into this wonderful little cat. And I was just petting him, and I'll, you know, he was on his back, which he'd never used to be able to do, and I was rubbing his belly, and uh, it's so cool. Thought number two, uh, last night I watched Black Panther. We're watching through all the Marvel movies in order. Uh, my fiance's never seen them, a lot of them. She's already seen Black Panther, but we watched Black Panther last night. And I forgot, you know, the kind of message of that movie. There's a, a, a what do you call it, a press conference at the end where T'Challa, uh, king of Wakanda, has this really cool line. He says, you know, we're all one tribe. And talking about how, you know, we, we find all these ways to divide each other. You know, I'm not going to say what, just there's so many things, like so many little groups you can put people into. And the reality is at the end of the day, we're all human. Uh, and we're all, we have to kind of treat each other like we're all in one big tribe rather than finding reasons to divide us and be all these small little separate tribes. And I love that message. Uh, that's when I can easily get behind. I don't care who you are, what you look like, what you do. Uh, you're human. I, I, I mean, I, I just really, really liked that message. I want to jump in. It is time for predictions versus reality. Uh, we're doing the NFC South. Remember, uh, that's the Saints, the Buccaneers, Falcons, Panthers. Uh, and the focus is the NFC South. I want to remind people, in case you don't know, I like to keep myself very, very honest and revisit my predictions. Sometimes what I find is Oh my goodness, a, a steaming pile of dog poop. I'm like, wow, I was wrong about Justin Herbert. I was wrong about the Broncos, like hilariously wrong. Actually, I, I picked, thought they'd go 11 and 5, then went 5 and 11. Uh, and so I try to go back and revisit what I got wrong, what I got right. I will say, I got a lot right about the NFC South. And if I sound like I'm gloating, I, I don't mean to. That's not my heart. Uh, I will, I, I am for sure going to gloat about Tom Brady, who I got it right. 
Yeah, but I, I'm for the most part, um, I, I don't know. I make predictions every August. I like to revisit them. Let's jump in. We'll start with Carolina. I predicted the Carolina Panthers would go 4-12 and 12 in 2020, uh, and I got really, really, really close. The reality is they went 5-11, and 11, uh, and I nailed the substance of this prediction. Last year, the Panthers were in year one in 2020 of rebuilding their team. They got a new head coach, Matt Rule from Baylor. Uh, they hired a offensive coordinator, Joe Brady from LSU, who worked with Joe Burrow at LSU, developed him into the number one overall pick. And so I, I was like, man, I'm excited, but they're going to be bad. And they're, they're rebuilding and developing. Uh, and the Panthers also parted ways with three of their major franchise stars. Quarterback Cam Newton, gone. Uh, tight end Greg Olson, not there anymore. Uh, he already had left and uh, either way. Uh, linebacker Luke Keekley retired early, by the way, which I, I at the time, I was like, I, I think it's fine. I think he's done with football, doesn't want a new coach, whatever. It wasn't really the most glorious start to the Matt Rule era, though. You're like, man, our, our major players for the last couple of years are now gone. We're, we're rebuilding and restarting everything. And uh, so because of that, the Panthers quarterback was Teddy Bridgewater, a guy who has been he was drafted to be the savior in Minnesota. He got hurt and since then has bounced around as in Minnesota, was with the Jets, was with New Orleans behind Drew Brees. And the Panthers gave him a three-year deal. And a lot of people were like, oh, this is the guy. This is the Carolina Panthers franchise quarterback. Finally, Teddy is getting a real chance. And I said, ah, I think he's a duct tape quarterback. Meaning, you know, he's not your long-term plan. He's a short-term solution. You put duct tape on a broken water bottle, it's fine for a little while. But eventually, you got to get a new water bottle because the reality is that's a duct tape solution. That's not good enough. And uh, I guess it's a, it's a, the reality is it's a broken water bottle, to be clear. That's what I thought. I didn't say it. I don't know why. Uh, now, since the year has ended, the Panthers have traded quarterback Teddy Bridgewater to Denver. Then they traded for quarterback Sam Darnold. And I went, ah, another thing I nailed. Told you guys. Uh, I knew Teddy wasn't the long-term planet quarterback. Uh, and I don't know that he's... I feel bad for Teddy Bridgewater, man. His career was so exciting in Minnesota, and it never got back together since then. And the reality is that good quarterbacks all the time uh, are put in situations where, like New York, the Jets were not a situation where he was set to succeed. He was never going to beat out Drew Brees. Uh, you know, you kind of get one opportunity where when you're first drafted, a team will really believe in you, put a lot behind you. I think Gardner Minshew's a guy in Jacksonville where I wish a team would build around him. I wish the Jaguars built around him, but they won't uh, because once the shine is kind of run off a quarterback, they never again, like you're not going to build around a 37-year-old quarterback. No one does that unless you're Tom Brady, uh, and it's it's just kind of sad. So Teddy Bridgewater, I knew he wasn't the long-term planet quarterback. I was right about that, but I, I was a little bit sad. I had a twinge of sadness because I like Teddy. I think he's awesome, and I feel his career has just been kind of like, oh. What a kind of a missed opportunity. Like, dang it, man. You know, in the right scenario with a really good team around him, Teddy Bridgewater could have been awesome. Now, it is worth noting that 11 of the Carolina Panthers losses. Uh, I guess let me let me back up. The Panthers went five and 11 last year. They lost 11 games. Eight, eight of the 11 losses were by one score or less. So the Panthers did really compete last year. They lost by three points to New Orleans. They lost to Kansas City. The defending champion by two points. They lost to the Packers by eight. Like, this is a team that was regularly in the mix, even if they weren't winning a lot of games. 
Uh, and by the way, that's in a year when their star player, Christian McCaffrey, their running back was hurt. He only played three games, had a high ankle sprain. I think part of that was Carolina was like, ah, we, this year doesn't matter. We're not going to risk the future of Christian McCaffrey on this, you know, kind of down year in 2020. And, you know, losing those 11 games did help Carolina get a better draft pick. They drafted corner J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. Uh, so I, I feel really good about the Carolina Panthers' rebuild so far. Uh, they've done a lot to upgrade and rebuild their team. The defense, they had two standout rookies last year. They had Derek Brown, a defensive tackle, who is a, it's a position that doesn't get a lot of shine, but I thought he did well. Uh, they had a safety. Jeremy Chin was in the mix for rookie of the year. Kind of came out of nowhere for a lot of people and was like, wow, this Jeremy Chin dude can play. And so the Carolina Panthers' 2020 year went really exactly like I expected. There was no big twist where I got it wrong or I nailed it, man. It was a year of rebuilding. Uh, and I also will say it put them in a spot now where moving forward, I'm excited for the future of the Carolina Panthers. Okay. Um, I predicted the Atlanta Falcons would go seven and nine in 2020. And I got to say, I would say I got it wrong because the reality is they went four and 12. And it's pretty funny to go back and read the comments on my YouTube video uh, making the original prediction, the, the, the 7 and 9 video. I had people like furious and angry saying, you know, wait till they're in the playoffs, idiot. Like, see you in December. And I'm like, oh, well, how'd that work out? Didn't, didn't work out very well. Turns out I was actually too generous to Atlanta. Uh, I thought 7 and 9 was reasonable. They went 4 and 12. Now, after starting 0 and 5, they fired their head coach, Dan Quinn, and their GM, Thomas Dimitrov. Uh, to me, it was justified. The Dan Quinn era was kind of marked with a, a bunch of games where the Falcons blew lead after lead after lead. Kind of, And at a certain point, you go, it's just a culture in Atlanta. I think they, they get up late, and in their heads, they go, we can't let this happen again. We can't let it be like the Super Bowl. We can't, and it just compounds itself. And doubt creeps in, and so the culture had to be changed in Atlanta, firing Dan Quinn. Thomas Dimitrov uh, was kind of a casualty, but again, they wanted a total reset in Atlanta. Uh, I I thought, by the way, they they could have gone even farther. They could have traded Matt Ryan to uh, Chicago and got a a new quarterback. They could have drafted Justin Fields. They could have drafted another receiver. Like They could have done more to build their franchise. Uh, if they really wanted to completely reset, they wanted some semblance of last year. I hope that's good for them. After the season ended, the Falcons hired Arthur Smith to be their new head coach. He was the Titans offensive coordinator in Tennessee. And I, I remember watching Tennessee last year thinking, mm, their, their passing game needs to evolve and kind of take a next step forward. And it's very possible that Arthur Smith uh, would tell you and it, would, it kind of felt like the personnel was holding Tennessee's offense back from doing that. Uh, Ryan Tannehill at quarterback, Derrick Henry at running back. It's possible, it's possible that the personnel in Tennessee limited their offense from really achieving more throwing the football. But it's still not a great feeling to hire a coach where you go, I didn't even love the offense he ran last year. Now, I will say, with good receivers in Atlanta, which they have, with Matt Ryan at quarterback, uh, if you want to have reasons to have confidence in Arthur Smith, you can do that. He's an offensive coach with a lot of offensive weapons and firepower and a young offensive line that's got a couple first-round picks. So you can have faith in Arthur Smith if you want, but the reality is that right now, Atlanta is rebuilding. 
new coach, terrible defense. Uh, there are some trade rumors for their star receiver, Julio Jones. And as I look back at 2020, not only are the Falcons rebuilding, kind of the low light of their year had to be giving up multiple late leads in that 0-5 start where they led, by the way, this is crazy, but it's true. Atlanta led Dallas 39-30 to at the two-minute warning and lost 40-39. to It was an onside kick, I get it, but it's crazy how awful that is. Like, man, blew that late lead. They blew a lead in the last minute to Chicago. It was really, really rough. And I, I just hope that Atlanta did enough to change the culture moving forward. And I, I, I hope that there's a lot of change for the better this year in 2021 for the Atlanta Falcons. Oh boy, it's fun. Uh, this is going to be, I don't know. I, I, I very rarely come out and tell you when I was dead right. Like I very rarely go, yeah, I nailed it. Cause I don't like dancing on people's graves. Uh, I try to always take the high road. I admit when I'm wrong and I, I rarely come out and say, I was right about this, but I want to talk about something I was maybe the most right about in my entire career. Uh, but we'll start here. I predicted the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to go 10-6 and six in 2020. I thought they would finish second in their division. Uh, and I nailed that. I was only off by one game. Uh, I will say there's, there's more to that story that I did get somewhat wrong. We'll talk about that in a moment. But the reality is Tampa went 11-5. and five. They finished second in the NFC South. But they also, this is where I got it wrong, they did so much more than that. We'll get to that in a moment. But I want to take a minute. I don't gloat very often. I very rarely come out and go, yeah, I nailed it. But on April 7th, 2020, I put out a video, a, a film analysis of Tom Brady breaking down the film, showing that Brady can still play. Basically, I said, everybody's wrong. Tom Brady can still play at a high level. And a lot of people were like, uh, either you're right or you're dead wrong. Because a lot of people that time were doubting Tom Brady. And look, I, I, I have never been more right in my entire career about anything than when I told people, hey, Tom Brady can still play. And it's not even really that I made a prediction. It's not like I was like, you know, cross your fingers, hope you're right. I watched the film and, you know, stats often lie. People are throwing out numbers and stats and wins and losses and stuff that doesn't really matter for a quarterback. I was like, the film shows a guy who can still play at a high level with no talent around him, bad receivers, not a lot of help. I said, man, Tom Brady needs to go to a good team. If he goes to a good team, it's a home run. Well, Tom Brady went to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, got better teammates, won another Super Bowl, number seven. He's got enough rings for over, <laughs> he already had six, now he's got seven. You're like, man, that's not even enough for, it's more than one hand it will fit. It's crazy to me. Uh, I gave Tom Brady my award for the most important player in 2020 because Tom Brady galvanized the Buccaneers organization. I admit, though, I got one thing a bit wrong. Here's what I got wrong about this whole, I was right about Tom Brady, I said that he can still play at a high level. I, I got one thing wrong in all this whole scenario. Uh, I didn't expect it to work as well as it did as early as it did. Uh, now, I admit 2020 did not start perfectly for Tampa. They lost week one to New Orleans. They started six and two, though. And then week nine, the Saints beat the crap out of Tampa. They got embarrassed 38 to 30. Tampa Bay, I'm like, oh, no. I, I remember thinking at that time, like, well, uh, this is not good. Like, you know, I like Tampa. It's fun. It's a good story. But I was like, well, can Tampa beat a really good football team when they need to? 
because they're they're good, but they're like, okay, who would they really be? I remember at six and two going excited, but then after they lost week nine, I went, mm, is this a bad sign moving forward? But then Tampa made the playoffs, and what that did was give Tom Brady and Tampa a chance, and that's really all they needed. They beat Kansas City in the Super Bowl, thirty-one to nine. Uh, Tom Brady was the Super Bowl MVP, and uh, there's not a lot not a lot more that needs to be said. I, I think that getting to play the Saints a third time. I mean, it's hard to beat a Tom Brady football team three times in one year. He's too good at preparation and analyzing stuff. And they got they got better a lot as the year went. Like week one to week seventeen is a different football team. The Super Bowl, the team we saw was kind of the that team, the Buccaneers maxing out and reaching their full potential. That's really cool, and that's what a Tom Brady led football team can do. I thought Tom Brady and Tampa would eventually succeed. But I thought, man, 2020, you got a new offense, new receivers, uh, a weird offseason where you weren't you were working together as much as you could, but it's not perfect. I, I thought 2020 was going to be a good year for Tampa. I had them second in their division, which they did finish. Uh, but I expected Tampa to fall short of their ultimate goal. And I figured you know, if they're going to compete for a Super Bowl with Tom Brady, it'll be year two. By year two, they'll be better. They'll figure it out. But they figured it out faster than I thought they even would. Uh, they exceeded my expectations, and it's possible that Tom Brady and the Buccaneers make another Super Bowl run this year in 2021. Uh, their division's probably weaker overall. I think Carolina got better, but Drew Brees retired. The Falcons are rebuilding. Uh, once again, Tom Brady, kind of like he was in the AFC East for years, is in a division that's down, and the competition isn't very stiff. And so, man, if you're a Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan, you have reason to be excited and uh, I, I'm, I'm really curious, can the Buccaneers make another Super Bowl run in 2021? They've already won one, but they got the right guy leading the team to keep, you know, the pedal to the metal and say, we got to go for more. And uh, I'm, I'm just really excited and fascinated with the Buccaneers, what they do this year in 2021. Now, um, I predicted the New Orleans Saints to go 11 and 5 in 2020. Thought they'd win their division. Reality is they went 12-4, and four, but they did win their division. The sad thing is they fell short of their ultimate goal. And I went, oh, man. Uh, the Saints lost in the playoffs, and their quarterback, Drew Brees, retired at 42 years old. He, he was done, man. Physically, Drew Brees, I, I think, is kind of done and ready to go into broadcasting or whatever's next for him. And, I, man, I was just, when the Saints lost, I was really, really sad. Because over the years recently, they've had a number of number of opportunities where, you know, NFC Championship games, losing to the Rams, losing to, you know, they lost to Minnesota on that, you know, the miracle in Minnesota, that crazy stuff on Diggs play. Over the years, I, I think New Orleans has had a number of opportunities to win a second Super Bowl, and they just came up short. And, and 2020 was another great opportunity for them where they added a receiver, Emmanuel Sanders, they had... Defensive end Marcus Davenport back from an injury, and I'm like, yeah, let's go. And, you know, the biggest problem for me is the Saints had to play Tom Brady three times last year. And, man, twice in the regular season, New Orleans beat Tampa Bay. They beat the Buccaneers. They Week one, the Saints beat the Buccaneers 34-23. to And week nine, they smashed Tampa. They won 38-3. to but the problem is it is nearly impossible to beat a Tom Brady-led football team 
three times in the same year where Tom and he's too good at making adjustments. He will find a way. You give him that many opportunities, he'll find a way to beat you. And in the playoffs, New Orleans ran into Tampa for a third time, and they lost. And I just was like, oh, man, it's heartbreaking. I do wonder. I, I think about this often. I go, man, like I wonder if the Saints had played Seattle or Green Bay and not had to play Tampa a third time. Or if, if the Buccaneers, you know, who peaked at the right time, if the Buccaneers had lost to Washington, the Saints might have been in the Super Bowl. It might have been it might have been New Orleans versus Kansas City instead of New Orleans instead of Tampa versus Kansas City. And I just the kind of the sad realities I, I wanted I really, really loved Drew Brees. He was one of the most Drew Brees and Tom Brady were the two most inspiring people to me in my entire life. I throw, I'd throw uh, Tim Tebow's in the mix, a guy who I, I always loved his work ethic. Peyton Manning's in there. But for me, it was always Drew Brees and Tom Brady. First of all, to watch them play each other, like, ah, three times. That's incredible. That's, that's really, really special. Like, really, really. I, I'm always going to look back at 2020 and remember that and go, how cool was it to see Tom Brady? I mean, I remember when, when they lost in the playoffs, you have Tom Brady throwing the ball on the field to Drew Brees' sons. You're like, ha, this is so cool. So that that was fun. But, I, man, I, it's nearly impossible to beat a Tom Brady-led football team three times in one season. And if it wasn't for that, I, I really wonder what would have happened. Where would New Orleans have ended up? Because I thought 2020 was a great year to win a Super Bowl for them, and they, they fell short. I, I was heartbroken and sad because I always wanted to see Drew Brees win another Super Bowl in New Orleans. I'm glad he got one. But I, oh man, it's, it's a beautiful shame that, you know, we, as a football fan, getting to watch Tom Brady play Drew Brees that many times, awesome. But as, as a Drew Brees fan, it hurt a little bit. I'm like, oh man, I would have loved to see him end on top and get one more ring before he walked away into the sunset. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. Uh, good stuff ahead. We have Ask Zach. You guys brought incredible questions to ask Zach this week, uh, this week, this episode. I do, I try to do multiple episodes a week. Uh, so ask Zach is next. We'll talk about the Colts. We'll talk about the Bengals and I'm ending the show today. The new tradition. We're going to do every single episode at the end of the show, a new segment. Uh, it might be terrible. It might not be interesting. I don't know, but new segment is on the way. My name is Zach Schaumler. We're going to take a short break and uh, it should be fun. All right, we are back. Hope we're doing very, very well. It is time for Ask Zach, my favorite part of the show. It's where I get to hear from you guys, the audience. The questions uh, are written in on Patreon. In case you don't know how it works, you go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. That's $12 a year. And uh, literally, it helps pay my rent. So please, uh, Patreon is my most stable source of income. Uh, I You can submit questions if you want. If you also just want to help me, that's how you can do it. Um, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. I want to explain something I never explained before. I always say I don't guarantee to read your question on the show because I think that's kind of dangerous. For a dollar a month, people get me to say whatever they want. I'm not going to guarantee I'm going to read your question. If you say awful stuff, like I'm not going to do that. But I really put a lot of effort on Patreon. I love uh, talking to you guys. I love answering whatever questions I can. Uh, so my only guarantee on Patreon is I, I guarantee I look at every single thing with my eyeballs uh, I pick the questions I can. I read them on the show. I have a good time. I love doing it. Uh, and we will start the show today with Eugene. Eugene wrote in today. 
Um, and I, I love it, man. I, he's challenging me. And I, I think that's healthy and wonderful uh, and should make for good conversation and discussion. So Eugene writes in, he says, hi, Zach. Long time silent lurker, but first time poster. I'll preface this by saying that the number one reason I am a fan of you is that you own up to your mistakes and abide by self-scout thyself. Awesome. So I'm not coming at this from a point of hate, but regarding the multiple times you've spoken about Cincy passing on Sewell. This take I kind of get, but there's a lot of overall hypocrisy and inconsistency. Right after the Cincy pick getting made, you massively praise Miami for drafting Jalen Waddell, a receiver. What? Why? Going by multiple sources and metrics, Miami's line was arguably worse, or at the very least, the same crappy level with the Cincinnati Bengals. Some other facts for the sake of brevity. Cincinnati invested in an offensive tackle in free agency and have a good young offensive tackle coming back from injury. Miami did not invest in an offensive tackle in free agency. Cincinnati's most dire needs were at guard, not tackle. Miami had a dire need at tackle, and as a Bills fan, I'm ecstatic they passed on Sewell. Tua's injury history is overall a tad more worrisome than Burrow's. Joe Burrow only has recency going against him, and a lot of Burrow's pressure and hits were scheme-imposed. Alex Rollins did Alex Rollins did a video. I don't know who Alex Rollins is. I don't, I don't watch anything about football. I, I only read the news. I try to really avoid all that. Uh, I, I, I think I see him on Twitter. I think, he, I think he does a good job. But anyway, I'm not, regardless. He says, too long, didn't read. Be very angry at Cincy. Yes, I get for passing on Sewell for a receiver. But to praise Miami for doing the exact same. So I, I get what he's saying here. He's saying that uh, the problem is that I'm, it's a double standard. So number one, Eugene, you're not a hater. In fact, you make good points. I, Eugene, thank you for writing in. Awesome. I love being challenged. Uh, I wish people did this more often, honestly. If there's anything you out there listening, you're like, I hate when you say this. Dude, write in. I, I love, love this. Uh, it makes me either, when you challenge my opinion, either it, may, it strengthens my opinion or it forces me to reevaluate and realize I'm totally wrong. So, Eugene, I hear you. Um, here's where I, I feel. Here's how I feel about this. Number one, um, the Dolphins and the Bengals both passed on left tackle Panay Sewell out of Oregon, a guy who I think is a fantastic left tackle. And instead, they drafted wide receivers. They didn't focus on the offensive line. They drafted receivers. The Bengals drafted Jamar Chase from LSU. Uh, Miami drafted Jalen Waddell from Alabama. You may not like what I'm about to say next. I and I, it's your right to be angry with what I'm about to say. I don't think you are, but I. Here's where I stand on this, man. Is that I, I think they're different situations. I, I don't. I, I get where you're coming from, but I wouldn't. Miami and Cincinnati are different football teams with different needs. And I don't, I don't treat every situation the same. And so I look at Cincinnati with Joe Burrow. Uh, in 2020 last year, I watched Miami and thought, man, if Tua is going to be successful, he needs more weapons. He needs better receivers. Last year watching the Bengals, receivers were not a problem to me. Um, I thought what Joe Burrow needed was better protection. And to be clear, everyone can always use a good receiver. Every team can always use a good left tackle. Like, you know, it's, both are great, and both are something you can use and are valuable to a team. But Joe, Gur Joe Burrow got hit a ton last year, and he got hurt, had a season-ending injury. That's not good. 
So I made a video about this, and I, I want to kind of reiterate. It's weird to be critical or concerned about the Jamar Chase pick because Cincinnati got an amazing player. Jamar Chase is going to score touchdowns and be fun to watch and I think help Joe Burrow a lot. Like I, I'm not saying it's a disaster nightmare pick. I, 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 my initial reaction was I hated it. My second reaction when I made a video about it was I played my initial reaction. Then I went, okay, but I, I get it. Like, it's going to be good. Here's the problem. If Joe Burrow gets hurt again, it's a really bad look to draft a receiver over a left tackle. That, that's what I'm saying. That's where I'm coming from. Uh, the Bengals drafted another guard, and they did some good stuff in the draft. I think what would have been, like, the worst-case scenario is Cincinnati drafted no offensive lineman. Then I'd be like, what are you doing? They didn't do that. They're trying. Um, but passing on Panay Sewell could be a really bad look if Joe Burrow gets hurt again. Jamar Chase is fun and flashy, going to score a lot of points and be exciting. Frankly, it reminds me a lot of when um, you had Shadow Chosinko and uh, what, was it Terrell Owens? I'm trying to think. There was a point where the Bengals with Carson Palmer had two fantastic receivers. Now they have T. Higgins and Jamar Chase. It's going to be fun and exciting, like a kind of a rejuvenation of Cincinnati. Back to the good old days. I, I really think it's going to be awesome. But I, I hope they don't regret the pick because if Joe Burrow gets hurt, that's what I'm saying. If Joe gets hurt, that's awful. Comparing Miami and Cincinnati to me is silly. They're, they're different situations. They're not the same thing. Um, you know, to me, what Tua needs good receivers. Uh, you know, Joe Burrow can elevate any receiver he plays with. I think Tua, the, the, the harsh reality, I love Tua as a person. I think Tua needs good receivers to help elevate him. Joe elevates receivers. Receivers elevate Tua. Tua Tungavaloa needs good receivers more than Joe Burrow does. Tua needs help. Joe Burrow needs protection. That's where I'm coming from with this. And uh, look, the Bengals passed on an offensive lineman. Put him wherever you want on the line, uh, who's going to be incredible. Panay Sewell, I, I have the utmost confidence, is going to be fantastic. We'll see who is right. I, we, maybe he tears his ACL, breaks his ankle, and then never plays again. Maybe Panay Sewell is a bust. We'll see. Like, but I, I don't know that it's the right pick immediately. That My first reaction was... They need an alignment. They need to protect Joe Burrow. I think the best thing you can do is protect Joe Burrow. Watch what happened with Andrew Luck. When you don't protect a young quarterback, it's bad. The results are not good. And I, I know the Bengals got some offensive linemen this offseason, and they're, they're doing something. It's better than nothing. But I, I leave you with this, man. The, the most important thing I said here is that if Joe Burrow gets hit a ton next year and gets hurt then it's a really bad look drafting Jamar Chase over Panay Sewell. So that's my opinion on it. Uh, but Eugene, thank you, man. I appreciate you challenging me, challenging my opinion. It's really fun to hear that kind of stuff, and it's a fun exercise. I wish more people wrote in like that because I think that's, that's, that's some really good stuff right there. David wrote in. He said, if you watched the Colts with the next pick docuseries, if not, pick it up. It's a cool look into the NFL draft process and understand and a way to understand coaches and GMs. So yeah, I, I saw this question on Patreon, uh, and I went and I watched the series uh, with the next pick. It's on. I recommend it again. Look up the words with the next pick on YouTube. It's uh, on the Colts YouTube channel. It's a four part series, uh, and I, I took a bunch of notes, man. I think number one, the the most important takeaway from this is that 
this four-part series made me love the Colts GM, Chris Ballard, even more than I already did. He cares a lot about who he's drafting and the kind of person they are. Uh, you know, Chris Ballard came out and said that the best players we've drafted are all guys who want to be coached. They don't need to be pushed. You don't need to push them. They, they want to be pushed. They want to get better. And talent is great. I, I, but I've seen a lot of, man, I played with a guy in high school football in Portland, Oregon, who was, dude, the most talented athlete I've ever seen in my entire life. Like, to this day, I, and I played with NFL players. This dude was the best athlete I've ever seen on a football field. Did nothing. Nothing. Didn't work. Had bad grades, didn't work hard, needed help, and frankly, uh, if you're a coach, like, needed drive. He, need, he needed to motivate himself. If you're an NFL team, because we're grown-ups, we're paying you, you got to be self-motivated. And so you want to bring in the right type of guys. And this is why Chris Ballard has done such a good job drafting. It's crazy to look at the Colts, who he's drafted. People who were not expected to be all-pro players have become all-pro players because of their drive and their work ethic and the year in and year out, the Colts have nailed the draft. And I thought, man, I was watching this video docuseries. I'm like, Chris Ballard, shut up. Don't give away the secret sauce. Don't give away what makes you so good. Is he, he drafts people that work hard and love football and care. And I think, you know, for example, they drafted Texas quarterback Sam Ellinger in the sixth round. I remember looking at that pick going like, Why? You don't need a quarterback. Sam Ellinger needs a lot of development to happen in order to ever become a good quarterback. But the Colts like who he is. And it's whether you hate Texas or you hate Sam Ellinger or not, whether you believe in Sam Ellinger, it's undeniable that Sam Ellinger, the former Texas quarterback, has tremendous character. The way he led his team, his attitude, his work ethic, his the way he plays the game is like it's all heart and passion. I love that. And so I, I thought Chris Ballard, man, values the right stuff. Uh, he's got no ego. He listens to his employees. I, I, again, I, I felt like I was like, man, you're, you're giving away all your trade secrets. Um, he values all the right stuff, and other teams got to learn from Chris Ballard. His approach is phenomenal. Now, one other thing I want to dive into uh, about this docuseries, the second episode is called Deep Conviction. It's a It details the Carson Wentz trade and him moving from Philly to – Really, he lived in New Jersey, from New Jersey to, because uh, the East Coast is also condensed, but moving from the East Coast into the Midwest to play for the Colts. Uh, and it details and kind of shows the connection between Carson Wentz, the new Colts quarterback, and Frank Reich, the Colts head coach. Uh, and th their relationship goes all the way back to the draft, when Frank Reich was a part of the team that drafted Carson Wentz. And I know this series is technically all PR and marketing and it's edited to make things look good and to sell the Colts fans that their team is exciting and good stuff and sell tickets and create hype. I, I totally get it. And I know that I hate feeling manipulated. And I know to some degree that's what's happening here. But also, you know, there is a genuine connection between Frank Reich and Carson Wentz. Like, Edit things all you want and cut out stuff and use good music. But what you can't deny and you, what you can't hide is the genuine excitement that leaks out of Frank Reich when he talks about Carson Wentz. Unless he's the best actor ever, he, he, then he actually genuinely believes in Carson Wentz and is excited. It leaks out of him. And, man, Frank is a former NFL quarterback who drafted Carson Wentz. 
And I'm telling you, when you listen to Frank Reich talk about Carson Wentz, unless unless they're saying, Frank, can you say it again slightly different? Unless they're like really engineering how he delivers his, his quote lines, which I don't – it's just a dude talking. I think he's just incredibly excited. There's genuine excitement when he talks about having Carson Wentz as his quarterback. And it comes across like, man, Frank went and got his quarterback. Frank went out and said, I want Carson. That's my guy. Let's go get him. And I, dude, I love it. Philly was a bad situation, man. There, there are multiple examples of a quarterback who is good being on a bad team, doing poorly, where you have uh, Matt Ryan, you have in Atlanta last year, Deshaun Watson was phenomenal in Houston with a bad roster around him who I thought the difference between Carson and Deshaun is that Deshaun was disciplined. Carson Wentz really tried to play some hero ball and let what was around him impact his decision-making. The good news is the Colts have phenomenal, phenomenal support around Carson Wentz, where he doesn't need to be a, a hero. He doesn't need to play hero ball and make crazy plays. He needs to make good decisions, which he can do that. We've seen that in the past. And T.Y. Hilton is a guy, a receiver for the Colts, kind of their, their emotional leader of their team. He took less money to come back to Indy. And T.Y. said in the docuseries, we have everything we need to win a title. We're stacked at our positions, every position. I, I walked away from the docuseries loving the Colts GM and feeling really confident in Carson Wentz and Frank Reich. And it's very telling when a coach is excited and like is confident and believes in their guy. It made me believe in Carson Wentz, and it made me believe in Carson working very well in Indy. Frank Reich is like, dude, we got to steal. Uh, I can work with it. I can make this dude phenomenal. Like, Car- The coach is confident. That says a lot about the Colts. I mean, his career depends on what happens with Carson Wentz. And, uh, man, I, I pound the table, dude. I, I'm really, really confident things are going to go very, very well with the Colts and, and the Carson Wentz, their marriage in Indianapolis. It's going to be awesome. And the docuseries cemented that for me. Okay, Joshua writes in. He says, hey, Zach, do you plan on attending any NFL games this year? If so, which one or which ones? Uh, Probably not. I'm planning a big move. It's overwhelming. It's, dude, I'm consumed by selling my stuff and getting rid of things and figuring out internet. And trying to move is... Unless you're moving, like, neighborhoods, it's really hard. It's awful. It's it's expensive. It's hard. And I'm doing it the cheapest way possible. Like, I'm taking nothing. I'm selling all my stuff. Uh, anybody want a couch? Like, literally, if you're in Portland, hit me up. I'll, I'll sell you my couch for 100 bucks. I It's awful. It, it, wait, anyway, I'll, I'll give away my couch almost for free. I really, you can have it. Because um, <laughs> I hate my couch. So, no one, hearing that, probably no one wants it. But if you want a $100 couch that's good enough, with a, like a drink thing in the middle. Hey, I got, I got it pretty cheap, and I'll sell it to you pretty cheap. Anyway, um, money's tight, travel's dicey. I'm not going to any games this year. Uh, I probably will go next year in 2022 when travel is easier and they have uh, the vaccination thing figured out. Like, I got vaccinated so that I could travel. Like, I, it's on my mind. Um, but I will say that whenever the day comes that I go back to football games and go to NFL games and I've only ever been to one in my life, actually, so I shouldn't talk like I've gone to a bunch. I've gone to a lot of college football games and worked at them. I've been to XFL games. I've only ever been to one NFL game and one NFL game as a fan. So if I ever go to when, when and 
undoubtedly when I go back to NFL games. Um, I'd love to go to a game in Florida. I'd love to go to the F1 Miami race. That'd be cool. But I, uh, the first place I'm going to go watch an NFL game is Cincinnati. I, I love that city. Like Cincinnati is my favorite place in the lower 48 states of America. Hawaii is my favorite place in America. Cincinnati is a close second, man. I, I, I have this undying love. Rain, shine, snow, sleet, summer, winter. I love Cincinnati. It's a wonderful place. I love the Midwest. Uh, and I want my fiance to come with me and to see that city. I love the stadium. It's actually one of the cheapest places in America to go watch a football game. Their ticket prices are always really, really low in Cincinnati. Uh, I want to eat Skyline Chili with my fiance. I want her to have it there. We make our own crappy fake version with, you know, Nally Chili and cheese and spaghetti. So to have her have authentic Skyline Chili would be really cool. Uh, that'll all wait till 2022, but I, when I do go to an NFL game next, it'll be in Cincinnati. That's my first stop. Uh, and then we'll see from there. But right now things are getting better. Uh, but I don't think, you know, I I saw that masks are not needed now for NFL teams if you're vaccinated fully. So, uh, that's a step forward in progress, but I'm, I'm not going to any games until probably 2022. Dylan wrote in, he said, what rookie camp would you most want to attend? Uh, Dylan, I'd want to go to any rookie camp with, uh, you know, rookie quarterbacks. I love, you know, the Jaguars with Trevor Lawrence, the Jets with Zach Wilson, the Patriots with Mac Jones, Viking, you know, Kellen Mond in Minnesota, the Bears, Justin Fields, the 49ers with Trey Lance. Uh, I would love to go watch a practice with one of those young rookie quarterbacks with my own eyes and just, you know, just to see what's going on and do some reporting. And maybe I will someday. I think that. Again, travel's crazy now, but that could be in the cards someday. Maybe I will get a pass and go to watch a practice next year. I, I think I want to watch the Carolina Panthers practice, really, if I can. I love Carolina. I love what they're doing. So, uh, yeah, that's where I would go. I want to. I love rookie quarterbacks. I love quarterbacks in general. It's my favorite position. And so, uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Hafe wrote in. I want to go. I want to real quick. I want to go to Patreon. Hafe wrote, wrote me a question. Hafe wrote, a, Hafe wrote in. He's from Saudi Arabia, which blew my mind. He says, uh, I've been an NFL fan since I came back from Buffalo when I was six years old. I lived there for about five years, years and years of pain watching the Bills lose while not having football society around you. So, hey, Froden, he said, hey, Zach, hope you and the fiance are doing well. A question runs through my mind a lot when it comes to rough coach player breakups. After the player leaves the team, does he despise the team? I think about this a lot regarding Belichick and Brady. Does Brady hate Belichick or vice versa? Did they leave on good terms? Was it personal and Brady really despises Belichick? I feel like it's hard for me to imagine Brady hating Belichick as the media portrayed after being his player and having the success they had. Uh, From Hafe, I love the show, uh, from halfway across the world in Saudi Arabia, maybe one of the 20 Saudis that love Really love the NFL. Hashtag Bills Mafia. Dude, it's crazy you're from Saudi Arabia and you love football. Sounds like you live in Buffalo for a little bit. Um, it's so cool you follow football, let alone listen to my show. Uh, thank you for your support on Patreon. Dude, awesome. I hope – I don't even know if I'm pronouncing the name Hafe right or not. Hafe? I, I have no idea. I, I, I'm so out of my depth uh, with thinking about Saudi Arabia. But it, it is insane you're watching the show. Welcome in. Uh, very, very cool. Number two – I have no doubt that Tom Brady felt slighted by Bill Belichick. Like, you know, you don't want me? You're not going to build around me? I- I'm Tom effing 
Brady and my coach doesn't want me. Like, I, I thought it was the right time for Brady to leave. I thought that it was the best thing for him to do to leave. Uh, but I'm sure he still, if nothing else, it's easy motivation. Why not use it for him to go, my coach didn't want me. Okay, I'll prove him wrong. Like, Tom Brady's that kind of guy. If nothing else, he'll choose to find motivation where he can and be like, all right, let's fight, you know? Um, does Brady deeply hate Belichick? No way. I don't, I don't think he does. But I, I have no doubt that you bet your Bippy they want to beat each other. Um, they care about that stuff for sure a little bit. Um, but players leave, and they use frustration for motivation. I don't know that, you know, for example, I, I left on bad terms with my last college. Uh, one of the coaches there is a guy who I, I thought screwed me over and was frustrating and I lied to me and I, really, really bothered me. But I, as years go on, I, I go, okay, well, um, he probably meant well. He's probably, he's, he's not a terrible guy. I thought he, I think he's kind of dumb. Um, but I, you know, the more distance you have, the less bitter you get. I think everybody, I'm, I'm still bitter. For sure, it, it leaks out of me. I like, I, I feel like I wasted a lot of time. Uh, I had a good experience, but I felt lied to a lot because um, I've left football teams before. Um, you know, usually what you do is you leave and then you go, "Why didn't they want me?" Time to prove them wrong and prove myself right. So, I think anytime a player leaves a team, there's some underlying like, if they love football and they love you know what they do, and they have confidence in themselves, they're like, "All right, they didn't want me," even if you're like. Hey, they didn't offer me the amount of money I wanted. You're like, well, well I'll show them. They should have offered me, you know, the amount of money I wanted. Whatever it is, um, it's a little different in the pros where it's it's professionals and it's a business. Everybody understands that side of football. Like, it's a business. Uh, you get it. But if someone doesn't want to pay you what you think you deserve, like, okay, uh, okay, all right. Like, uh, if you believe in yourself, you go prove them wrong. So I think a lot of people, when they leave a team, they use their frustration for motivation. Hey, thank you for writing it. Crazy you're in Saudi Arabia. Ali wrote in, said, Hi, Zach. Hope we're doing well. I'm, in a, I'm a college student, so I just got done with finals, and it's always nice to watch your videos when I'm done with my exams. Awesome. College hated it. So good luck on finals. Hope you did well. Um, anyways, here's my question. If you were an NFL GM and you were given the means to trade for one player or even a coach, alas, John Gruden, who would it be? Just a fun fact. I'll read it in a moment. Uh, and I'm going to read it now. He also says, I have a fun fact for you. Bruce Matthews didn't make a Pro Bowl until he was 27 years old. Yet no player in NFL history had more appearances, 14, in the Pro Bowl than them. I think that's such a testament to how he grew as a player over time. I think it's a great fact uh, if you're a young athlete currently struggling with consistency. Anyway, have a nice day. So 27 years old, Bruce Matthews made his first Pro Bowl. Made 14 after that. That's unbelievable. That, that is, I, I didn't know that. I would imagine he's related to Clay Matthews. They're a football family. Anyway, uh, if I could trade for one player, who would I trade for? Here's what comes to mind. I would trade for Gardner Minshew. Uh, but there's probably other guys that are more talented. To be like, It depends on what team I'm on, what situation I'm in. But man, Gardner Minshew easily is a franchise quarterback just being wasted. Wasted in Jacksonville. He won games for the Jacksonville Jaguars, like, <laughs> I don't understand how I'm the only person in America going, that dude's a franchise quarterback. Pittsburgh, Denver, what are you doing? 
I get Jacksonville doesn't have an incentive to trade him because they're like, well, if we need him week one, he's good backup, whatever. But the fact that there were no rumors, there was nobody. It seemed like nobody was interested in drafting Gardner and trading for Gardner Minshew. It's a massive missed opportunity, in my opinion. I, if a team built around Gardner Minshew, if they built around him, they'd win a lot of games. And I, I will die on that hill. Like that, that's, I, I fundamentally believe that. If you built around Gardner Minshew, you'd win a lot of football games. He's a great leader. He's not the most talented person, but he works really hard, and he gets better. Every time you watch the guy throw the football, you're like, he's getting better and better and better. He grew from Washington State to Jacksonville. He's gotten better every year of his life playing football. I, I just, man, I, it's one of those things I'm like, I, I just, I cannot believe that there's not a desire to build around Jacksonville. I feel like they gave a little bit up into the hype of Trevor Lawrence and generational player and I I, th- I think people often think that I I hate Trevor because I like Gardner and that's just not true I I, I don't I get, I get why Jacksonville drafted Trevor Lawrence um but I, I still think that Gardner can play and I, it's just unbelievable to me and I'm, I'm not saying this as like a, I went to Washington State I'm a fan like no 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 I watch the film the dude's got good football in him and for some and amazing leadership qualities and for whatever reason they're just there's no interest to build around him, and I, I, I think it's wrong. I, I, if I'm a GM, I'm like, hey, if I need a quarterback and I got nobody, I'll trade a third-round pick. I'll, I'll trade. A, you can trade very little probably and get Gardner Minshew. He's cheap. He's young. He's a great leader. He works his butt off. He can play. I don't know what else you want. Uh, so I, I'll die on that hill, man. I would build a team around Gardner Minshew, uh, and I think I would win if I did it. Uh, another guy I feel very similar about, I'd want to work with Jalen Hurts. Uh, I hope he doesn't get screwed over. Like, I love Tua. He's from Hawaii. I don't know if Tua is very good. Like, I really don't. I, I love Tua. I have his jersey. Uh, but I, I don't know if Tua can play. Like, I'm a fan of Tua. Is he good? I don't know. Jalen Hurts can play. Um, Gardner Minshew can play. And I, 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 feel, I hate when quarterbacks, there's missed opportunities where guys, you know, I made a, a franchise with Colt Brennan the other day on Madden because I was like, I feel like he never got, and I, I look back at film and I, May he rest in peace. I don't know that Colt Brennan really was an NFL quarterback that's going to be a franchise quarterback. But I'm like, hey, what happens if you build around him? I'm like 16 and 0. Like, I'm amazing with Colt Brennan as my quarterback. He's got amazing short accuracy, uh, like short, um, what do you call it? Uh, short accuracy, meaning like he's he can throw a five yard out like nobody's business in Madden. Like, it's crazy. He's like higher rated than a lot of franchise quarterbacks. He's got a terrible deep ball. But I'm like, I throw swings to Percy Harvin all day. I find a slant on the backside. You, sometimes you hit a whole shot. Like, dude. I don't know. I love building teams, and uh, I hate when quarterbacks uh, don't get a fair shake. And when that initial luster rinses off, people just discard them forever. It's like a dude can still play. Like Blaine Gabbert with the Buccaneers does some good stuff when he's called upon. So uh, he's sitting behind Tom Brady. I don't know. I just feel like people are so quick to give up on players, and then they're done forever. And it's like a death sentence. I hate that. David writes in. He says, what are your thoughts on Checo so far as Red Bull's number two? I saw the other day that he has the same amount of points as Alex Albman did at this point last year. And Checo also has made a good deal of mistakes as well. I feel like the problem with Red Bull's second drivers uh, aren't the drivers themselves. Rather, maybe the way the team handles them or works with them. Because the problems never seem to go away, even with a new driver. What are your thoughts? Thanks. Yeah, I mean, they've had Daniel Ricciardo. It's historically a, a massive blunder. They couldn't keep Daniel Ricciardo happy. Because if Daniel Ricciardo right now is the number two driver for Red Bull, I would think they're they're pushing Mercedes a lot. Um, I, I look, I think 
Sergio Perez has been solid. Uh, he's made he made that mistake where it was uh, yellow flags and he passed somebody. That's like a huge like what are you doing? But a lot of it too is Red Bull. The team has made mistakes. Uh, he, he can't control that in race number one. He had power unit failure on the formation lap. Like that's not his fault. Uh, he's been decent, and I'm still hopeful that Sergio Perez, uh, as time goes on in this F1 season, can keep getting better and uh, make an impact for Red Bull. I, look, he's he's done four races in a new car. Let's give the guy like we gave Alex Albon a ton of time. So let's give Max, let's give Sergio Perez more than four races before we say he's terrible, and not going to work. Will wrote on last question today says, "Hi Zach, overtime rules seem ridiculous to me. That a coin cost." That a coin toss can decide the victor is not a fair setup. Why haven't the NFL fixed this yet? It's a rule that makes me angry. How do you feel about it? Okay, well, um, it doesn't make me angry because uh, I think logically you go, well, if a team can't win by overtime, you did get four quarters of football. Like, it's not like there's no opportunity to win a game. So if you go to overtime, it's like, well, you had you had four quarters of opportunities and a bunch of possessions and a bunch of time on defense. So I, I get why. It's like, oh, well, you had a shot. So I think that's part of the NFL is kind of complacent. They don't want to have longer games. They don't want to hurt people. Here's what bothers me about NFL overtime. It's a missed opportunity. College football overtime, even the XFL overtime, it's phenomenal television. When I see college football overtime, I don't care if it's two teams I've never heard of. Tulane and Timbuktu State. I don't care. I am there. I love college football overtime. NFL overtime is really weak. It's a weak system. It's not very interesting. So it leaves a lot to be desired. And that's, if nothing else, you're missing out on a chance to be really, really entertaining and must watch TV. Overtime in the NFL could be better. That's what I don't look at it as go like, ah, teams are getting screwed. It's like when you had four quarters and a bunch of possessions of defense to, you had a chance to win. You, you couldn't do it in four quarters. So, okay, I get it. But I, I just think from a TV standpoint, you're like, man, this is a, you're getting your butt kicked by college football overtime. And it could be so much better. It could be a better product. Like it'd be better for the fans. That's where I go. Like this is, that's where I get heated. It's like, well, you're, you're missing out on what could be phenomenal television because you refuse to upgrade and make changes to your system. So it doesn't make me mad, but it makes me disappointed in the NFL. Okay, guys, uh, time for a new tradition. It's a new way we're going to end every single show. Uh, I'm going to call it checking my phone because what I hate is when I <laughs> I hate when I upload a show and I'm like, there was breaking news while I recorded and I didn't even see it. So if like there's breaking news right now, then I'll I'll, I, I'll I'll share my initial reaction, and then maybe next episode I'll really dive into it and share my thoughts. But I, I want to see if there's anything I'm missing out on right now uh, that's going on and could be happening. So we'll check number one thing. Is anything happening uh, in the NFL? Um, no, nothing. I see I see Tom Brady. It's a bunch of hype. Um, I see a pretty cool story. It's Marcus Mariota talking about how Tua. Uh, they, they you know here's a quote. He was throwing out there with the younger kids, and I think all of us high school kids were looking like, he's pretty good. Who is that? That's Marcus Mariota talking. It ended up being Tua. And Tua said he's just kind of been the standard for a lot of the kids back home to look to as a person, as a human being, and as good as he was. Uh, you know, Marcus kind of took me under my wing. 
Marcus Mariota says, that's all I ever wanted as an athlete is to hopefully give some kind of inspiration to these younger kids because there are so many kids back home in Hawaii who should have the opportunity to play. I agree with that. And then Tua responds, he says, it's something really cool being that me and Marcus are both of Samoan heritage, that we come from Hawaii. His dad is Samoan. Both my parents are Samoan. It's something super cool for the kids to see back home. I love Hawaii, dude. It's my, it's my favorite place uh, kind of in the world. I, I think it's a wonderful place with a really cool culture. Adam Schefter, uh, there's nothing new happening here. Uh, let me look at, see if there's, let me just look generally. Is there any NFL news happening? NFL news. I, I don't think so, but I, I want to check now every time. Um, there's nothing. There's nothing going on. So, to, so far today, haven't missed anything. Um, but I, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I saw someone say that Tim Tebow wasn't good as a tight end and joining the Jaguars would be stupid. That's what a former NFL team Tim Tebow did. There, there's nothing happening. So I, I'm going to start doing this every episode. I, I tried to make it exciting. It wasn't really. Uh, but I, I every episode want to check sports news and see if there's anything I'm missing that's going on. And uh, there's no big breaking news, no big trade. But I, I hate, like I did, for example, I, I made a whole video about how the Bears should trade for Sam Darnold. And then during the episode, he got traded to Carolina. I'm like, ah, dang it. So never again. At the end of every episode, I'm not going to check my phone and see if there's any breaking news at the moment. I love you. I appreciate you. Uh, episode 354 is almost done, believe it or not. I, I cut out some stuff, and we've been talking for a long time. So I'm like, I can't make a three-hour episode of this show. I don't want to do that. Anyway, I'll see you soon. Love you. Bye.